0: on May 22nd at 8.15 and at 11 o'clock, then two weeks from today, one service Sunday at 9.30, If you show up at 8.15 that day, you'll be really, really early. That's going to be a very special service. It's our Remembrance Sunday. We'll be uh, remembering loved ones lost in the last year. So we'll see you on the 29th at 9.30. And then I can't believe we're already talking about the month of June, talking about mission trips and VBS, but uh, summer is upon us whether we realize it or not. I want to say congratulations to all of the graduates that are with us today. We're going to be recognizing high school graduates at the end of this service. But if you have graduated from junior high, or if you're in here your high school, or junior college, or four-year college, or you have a master's that you've just finished, I'd like you to stand up right now. Do we have any graduates with us today? All right, we're going to have a bunch at second service would be my guess. I hope. I <laughs> hope. Well, congratulations to all of them. Okay. Um, we're in week three of a five-week sermon series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to take a one-week hiatus next week for the class at Kids performance, and then we'll jump back in on the 29th during the one service Sunday, and I realize that for some of you, you haven't been here for the first two weeks. So you're saying, can I really participate? Should I leave and go to breakfast and come back later? And the answer is no. I'm going to catch you up real quickly with where we have been up to this point. Week one, the big idea, the, the, the theme more than anything else was this, God desires to be present with those he is in relationship with. So, if you are a Christ follower, if you've said, Jesus is Lord of my life, if you've said, Jesus is my Savior, understand God desires to be present with you. And we looked week one at this progression that's taken place over the history of time in the Old Testament. If you wanted to be present with the Lord, where did you go? Say it out loud. You went to the temple. That's where you found the presence of God. And in the New Testament, Jesus came along and changed all of that. He he was the Son of God, and he is the Son of God. And if you want to find the presence of God, you connect with Jesus. And then we looked at several verses of Scripture that show us that today we are the temple of God. My body is the temple of God. And we we typically throw out the 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 passages to say you shouldn't go get drunk because your body is the temple of God. Or you shouldn't eat a huge steak because your body is the temple of God. Or you need to exercise because your body is the temple of God. And yet it's so much more than just making sure your physical body is taken care of or that you don't abuse your body in, in one way or another. God lives within us, if we're Christ followers, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's week one. Last week, we looked at this big idea. God desires for you, if you're a Christ follower, to experience what we call new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at scriptures like 2 Corinthians five seventeen. if anyone's in, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, we looked at 1 John, several different passages of scripture that illuminate this new life, this new birth, what it looks like in many days, in many ways. Um, Probably the big theme from last week was we looked at the virgin conception, the virgin birth, and how that pregnancy changed everything. For the first time in the history of all creation, you see a birth taking place, you see a conception taking place, not with man and woman, but with Holy Spirit and woman. And it was a miracle. And and I think it's essential that we embrace that, that we believe that. And and that virgin conception changed everything. So week three, what's the big idea? If you're distracted, if you're tired, if you've been up all night at prom and post-prom, and you can only get one little nugget for today, here's the one nugget. Here it is. The Holy Spirit empowers you to make a difference if you're a Christ follower. If Jesus is Lord of your life, understand the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, can empower you. The Holy Spirit empowers you to make a difference. So so let's break that down this morning. How many of you have ever read a verse of Scripture in the Bible, especially some of you that did the Bible in 90 days, you probably came across some of these, and you read the verse of Scripture and you said, wow, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense. Raise your hands really high. Probably all of us would say there's verses of scripture that we read and you're like, wow, that's a mouthful. I don't get that. I don't understand that. I'm going to call my preacher or I'm going to call somebody much smarter than me. And I'm going to try to figure out what that verse is all about. Let me give you one of those verses. Two weeks ago, we were in John 14 when Jesus introduced to his disciples that the Holy Spirit, I think he used the term another counselor in the NIV, the Holy Spirit is coming to be with you. And we looked at that right before he shared that. Those were verses 16 and 17 of John 14. He shares this nugget in John 14, verse 12. Let's see what this has to say. John 14, verse 12. It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Okay. But then he says this. He will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. It's dead silent in here right now, because you're probably thinking what I've been thinking, and that is, how am I going to do greater things than Jesus the Christ? I- any ideas? I know we're not real big in you know talk back audience participation, but what do you think? Can you do something greater than Jesus Christ? Just let that sit with you for just a moment. Jesus said to his followers, not only are you going to do what I've been doing, you're going to do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Let's just leave that out there and let's move on. And let me give you this observation as we start kind of the bulk of the message today. Americans are and always have been fascinated with power. Would you agree or disagree? Okay, before gas went to like $4.09 a gallon, which I think is what the price is in Clinton today, um, many of us men, we love to think about purchasing a vehicle that had what? A lot of power, a lot of power. My first vehicle was a 1976 Plymouth Grand Fury. And it had a big old huge engine. It just sucked the gasoline. Now, the good thing is back in those days, when I started driving, I was paying like 79 cents a gallon. You know, So I didn't really, it seemed like a lot at the time, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But I loved the power. I loved to be at a stoplight in my big old boat of a car and look over and see one of those gas-efficient models that were just starting to come out and just hit the accelerator. If there's any 16- or 17-year-olds out here, don't ever try that, by the way. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. Bad things can happen. Don't do that. That's just kind of my public service announcement. But I like to do that. Take off. See the power. We love power. We're fascinated with power. And this morning's message is really all about power. The Holy Spirit. Power for your life. Here's our outline. We're going to go through this pretty rapidly. Number one, the Holy Spirit was the power Jesus used in his ministry. Secondly, we're going to learn that this same power is at work in Christ's followers today. And then three, I want to reiterate what I told you already. The Holy Spirit's empowering you. But I want to answer the question, why? Why is the Holy Spirit empowering you? So let's dive in. Number one, the Holy Spirit was the power Jesus used in ministry while on earth. If you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's cool. We've got Pew Bibles Luke is the third book of the New Testament. It's about three-fourths of the way to the back of the Bible. So turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture from the Gospel of Luke. The first is Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, says as follows. Luke writes, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now as he was praying, look at this, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Some of us went through, walked through the New Testament during the month of February. Anybody in here go through, walked through the New Testament? Do you remember the symbolism for baptism? What was it? Anybody remember? It was a dove. And and many of us in the Christian church, we thought this ought to be the symbolism for baptism. That's where the dove comes from, right here. It's a symbol. And yet we see the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. Right after this passage of Scripture, in Luke chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus take place. And if you're not really familiar with that, Jesus had to go into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, didn't eat anything, and he was tempted by Satan during this time. But look at this comment here at the very beginning of Luke 4. It says, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he faced physical temptations. He faced the temptation for popularity. He faced the temptation for even more power. But it was through the power of the Spirit that he was able to overcome those temptations. And remain true. At the end of that little narrative, we come to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And it says, Jesus returned to Galilee. Look at that. In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. The power of the Spirit is with Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 11, we see this this, um, healing has taken place. Jesus has healed someone. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they can't accept that. And they're claiming that, it's do, that, that he's doing this by a, by a demon, Beelzebub. And Jesus says, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? If I drive out demons by the finger of God, the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And I honestly, this morning, if we had time, I could share with you 15 other verses of Scripture where Jesus illuminates this idea that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is tapping into while doing ministry on this earth. Here's the big idea, though. We don't need 15 more scriptures because you're going to get this right here. Here it is. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus in a great and mighty way. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus in a great and mighty way. Way. All right, let's move on to number two. We're moving right along. Number two is this. This same power, the power of the Holy Spirit, it's at work in Christ followers today. Now, I want to just ask you right now. I'm making that statement. That's kind of a, a thesis statement that I'm making today. And I don't want you to raise your hands on this. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Do you buy that or not? Do you accept that or not? If you're a Christ follower, do you accept that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in your life today? I I think if we were being really honest and very transparent this morning, and instead of 300 in the sanctuary, maybe we had 30, or maybe even 4 or 5 or 6, and we were just kind of talking friend to friend, I think many of you might say, you know, I'm not sure I really believe that. I'm not sure when I consider Christ followers today. I'm not sure when I consider my life today. I would say that that same power is at work in me. And if that's how you feel, I guarantee you, you're not alone. But I want to, for the next several minutes, to try to illustrate for you why that power is at work and can be at work. And why that that verse of Scripture that we looked at, The beginning of the message, John 14, 12. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. That's 100% correct. So let's move on. Ephesians 1. If you have your Bible, flip over to Ephesians 1. If not, we're going to put the scripture up on the screen. And and this is kind of a run-on sentence. I I had a hard time deciding where to start. So if it seems like it's in the middle of a paragraph, it's because it's in the middle of a paragraph. But just stick with me this morning. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He says that you may know the hope... To which He has called you the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, I want you to see something here. And, and I'm not going all Greek on you. This isn't a seminary class, so don't, don't, don't worry about that. But I do want to let you know there are three different Greek words that are all translated power or something similar to that in English. And here's what they are. Dunamis, Eregio, Kratos. Those are all used in this passage of Scripture right here. Dunamis is potential power, like dynamite that has not been lit. The power is there, and it's waiting to be released. Think of the Kentucky Derby. Anybody watch the Kentucky Derby last week? What did they do with the horses as they were getting ready to race? They kind of trot along, and what do they go into? They go into the starting gate, and and you're just kind of waiting for the race. And as soon as that last horse gets in, what happens? You hear that boom, and then they just kind of explode out of that gate. Dunamas is that power waiting to kind of explode out of the gate. Aragio is energy, working power, dunamis in action. And Kratos would be the impact. The exerted power. Think of a wrecking ball as it hits a building. Have you ever seen that? Those big, huge wrecking balls, and it crashes into maybe a stadium that they're tearing down or a skyscraper that they're tearing down. That's incredible power. Well, let's go back and look at this verse of Scripture. Okay? Look at this little map here. We've got the three words playing out, and then we go back and we see his in- incomparably great power, dunmas. for those of us who believe, that power is like the working in Agio, of his mighty strength, Kratos, which he exerted, Regio, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. And you may be saying, I am totally lost. I have no idea what you're throwing out at me right now. Here's what I want you to get from that, okay? If you're lost, here's what I want you to get. You can grab this right here. His power is real for Christ followers today. That's the point of Ephesians chapter 1. That's the point that Paul's trying to drive home to Christ followers, first century, city of Ephesus, church of Ephesus. And it's a truth that is reality for you and for me today if you're a Christ follower. His power is real and it works in many ways, but I want to share with you too. This power is at work in Christ followers today. That's number one. But number two, his power is at work through Christ followers today. It's at work in me and it's at work through me. It's at work in you and it's at work through you. Number three, we're moving right along this morning. Number three, the Holy Spirit is empowering you. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit empowering you? This is where I, my personal humble opinion, um, this is where I think some Christians in 2011 kind of get off the reservation, so to speak. I think that that they hear a message like this, wow, the Holy Spirit's alive in me, it's at working in me, and they think, you know what, I'm going to just go do all kinds of healings, I'm going to do all kinds of miracles because the Holy Spirit is at work in me. If the same power that Jesus used is alive in me, then, man, the sky's the limit. You know, look out. The show's ready to begin. Not, not, not quite the point in my humble opinion. So let me break this down for you. I think the Holy Spirit is empowering you, first and foremost, primarily to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I think that's number 1. I think that's most important. I think when you read through the New Testament and you read through probably maybe my favorite book of the New Testament. I really love 2 Corinthians, but I love the book of Acts. I love the history. I love the birth of the church. And when you read through that, you see an incredible incredible call to proclaim. And you see Christ followers stepping outside their comfort zone in a great and mighty way. Um, Look at Acts chapter 4 for just a moment. And I need to give you a little background to this. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. They did that all the time, by the way, praying all the time. And they encounter somebody. You remember who they encountered on the way to the temple to pray? Anybody? Somebody that was crippled, couldn't walk. And if you grew up going to junior church, you probably learned a little song along these lines. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He stuck out his palm and he asked for an alm. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Don't ever believe we don't have special music at First Christian Church. That was pretty special, wasn't it? It was actually pretty cheesy. But the point is this. Peter and John, they didn't have any money. But they said, brother, we're going to give you something much better than a simple coin. You're going to walk. And the guy reached down by his right hand, lift him up, and guess what he does? He walks. And he's walking And he's jumping, he's leaping, and he's praising God. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a great thing, right? What do you think the religious leaders of the day thought of that miracle, thought of that healing? Were they two thumbs up? Way to go, Peter and John. Way to go, Jesus. Jesus rocks. Is that what they were saying? What were they saying? They hauled him in front of the Sanhedrin. And they said, what in the world are you doing? Now, this is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. This is the same Peter and John that spent a better part of that time frame from the crucifixion to even past the resurrection hiding behind locked doors. To say that they were afraid is an understatement. But see, something changed when Jesus reinstated Peter. Something changed in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended into heaven. Something changed on the day of Pentecost when the power of the Holy Spirit came down upon them. And I want you to hear what Peter had to say. Acts chapter 4, look at verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the what's it say? Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then he adds this little editorial comment, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then in verse 12, he makes this bold statement that I guarantee you did not go over well. He says, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. They're scared no more. They are hiding no more. They're risking it all by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's really cool, we don't have a lot of time to dive into this, but I love the comment. It says later on that they they look at verse 13 it says when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled ordinary men They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Another way of saying it is they couldn't believe the boldness that Peter and John had. They hadn't been to seminary. They didn't have any advanced degrees. But they did spend three years with Jesus the Christ, and they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on real quickly to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7... Let me back up. In Acts chapter 6, uh, most of us think of that as the deacon passage in Acts chapter 6. That's where there was this huge ministry need, and the the, the apostles were being sidetracked. They they weren't able to, to focus on the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the Word, so they raised up several individuals to help with this need of waiting on tables for widows. Just a great, great calling. And I want you to see how Stephen is described. Look at verse 5 of Acts 6. It says, The proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And then it lists several other individuals as well. And Stephen started to preach. Stephen started to proclaim. And before long, Stephen is seized, and he's taken in front of the Sanhedrin the same group of people that Peter and John were so bold in front of, And Stephen just lays it on the line. Acts chapter 7 has like 58 verses in it. Actually, 60 verses. And almost every verse is Stephen's sermon before the Sanhedrin. He gives a great, great history of how God has been working. If you don't know your faith very well, read Acts chapter 7 sometime. Read all 60 verses. You'll learn a ton of history when you do it. But here's what I want you to understand. Stephen is bold Stephen is proclaiming the good news and when he gets done, they're so ticked at him, they execute him. They kill him. They put him to death because he was proclaiming the name of Jesus. And yet I love Stephen's last words at the very end of chapter 7. He says, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Who's that sound like, by the way? Jesus. And then he says, uh, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Boldness to proclaim the name and the news of Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you today, why are you empowered? You're empowered to be bold. We'll talk a little bit later what that might look like. There's a second way that I believe the Holy Spirit is empowering you, and that's to build up the body of Christ. There is an epidemic going through churches in 2011. 2011. It's not a new epidemic. And here's what it looks like. Christians trying to tear down the body of Christ. Now many of them would never say, I'm trying to tear down the body of Christ. But that's exactly what's unfolding. They get fired up about things that that don't matter. They get off focus. They get off purpose. And I believe the Holy Spirit is empowering you Secondly, not only to proclaim the good news, but to build up the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, the same Spirit. He says there's different kinds of service, the same Lord. He says there's different kinds of workings, the same God works all of them in men. And then in verse 7 he says, Now to each person, each one, man or woman, who's a Christ follower, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Look at that. For the common good. And in verse 11 he says, All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. And then in 1 Peter 4, I know I'm going fast. 1 Peter 4 it says, Each one, all of us who are Christ's followers, should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And so this morning, I want to just let you know right now, what hopefully you already know, God has gifted you somehow, in some way, and you are called to use your gifts for the building up of the body, for the glory of God. And I want to just give you, I just kind of looked around this morning, and I came up with a couple of examples. I I think of people like Joyce Trummel and Llewellyn Sears, who are, are with us today, and many others who have the gift of landscaping, flowers, making something that's ordinary, very beautiful. And they use that gift for the glory of God, for the building up of, of the body of Christ, so that when you come to church, you say, wow, we got some awesome landscaping. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. That's using giftedness for the glory of God. I think of people like Tim Winthy and Wes Anderson and Danny Bundy. I could go on and on and on. They just love to talk, they love to shake hands, they love to give hugs, they love to park cars, and they use that for the glory of God. Um, One of the unspoken heroes in my life is someone that never even goes to first service. She's not at second service every week because she does speaking and traveling, but it's a lady by the name of Becky Glenn. Many of you know Becky from our church. When I woke up this morning and got ready to go walk the dog in the rain at 5 till 6, I logged on my computer real quick, and I had an email from Becky. She's out of town. She's at an event this weekend. And she had a several-paragraph prayer on my behalf and your behalf that the power of the Holy Spirit would work today. I want to just share just a little bit with you. Here's what she writes to me and to us. May your spirit's power and purposes come alive in our daily lives, conversations, choices. Give us boldness to share what you mean to us, how you change our lives every day, and the difference you make in us that you long to make in other people's lives. Lord, do that through your word tomorrow at church. Cut through the doubt. Cut through the defenses. Lay us open to listen and obey. Can I tell you, this body needs more people like Becky Glenn that aren't majoring in the minors, worried about the stuff that just doesn't even matter, and they're focused on how can we build up the body of Christ we're almost done. Almost done. If my thing will work. There we go. Okay, so what? What do we do with all this today? Here's what I want you to do. You can be bold, and you can build up the body in 2011. You can. You may say, there's no way in the world I can share my faith. There's no way in the world I can do anything to help the body of Christ, and I say, yes, you can, and I want to give you three challenges this morning number one is some of us we need to just start obeying god's word you may say that sounds like a sunday school answer for fourth graders well maybe it is but it's a reality answer for many of us today jesus said in the gospels if you love me what you will obey my commandments and so the first way you can be bold and build up the body is to obey Secondly, we need people that will be passionate about prayer. Passionate about prayer in a Becky Glenn kind of way. Passionate about prayer like many of you have been. You've been praying without ceasing since Friday night for our sister in Christ, Cheryl Van Bailey. I put on Facebook yesterday that um, I don't know a lot of details, I'm not sharing a lot of details. I need people to pray. And I had people from Moikwa, I had people from Ohio, I had people from literally all across this country chiming in saying, I don't even know who this is, I will pray. And then finally, we need people that are going to be like Peter and John. We need people that are going to be like Stephen and they're willing to risk for the sake of the cross. I want to share with you a closing illustration this morning. This is a picture of a young man you've never met, I've never met, by the name of Noah Reiner. Noah was the student body president for Dartmouth College. It's an Ivy League school in uh, upstate New Hampshire. Um, This school was founded, believe it or not, as a missionary school uh, to to win Indians, Native Americans, to the Lord. But it is today considered to be one of the ten most liberal schools in all of America. They have a tradition there. They have a convocation every fall. They have chapel service for incoming freshmen, and the student body president is able to get up and share an address. Noah Reiner had that opportunity in the fall of 2005. In the fall of 2004, the student body president, a different individual, used that forum to proclaim the need for the legalization of marijuana. He spent 20 minutes talking to incoming freshmen about why pot should be legal in America. Noah Reiner went a little different direction. He got up there and he talked about character. He invoked um, several alums from Dartmouth that had great intellect but failed miserably because they didn't have character. And then he told these incoming students, the brightest in New England, many the brightest in America, this statement right there. He said, the problem is me. I'm a sinner. The solution is God's love. Jesus on the cross for us. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And on that campus, for months afterwards, there was this firestorm of protest. How dare he invoke the name Jesus? And he was interviewed a couple years later, and he said, if I had it to do all over again... I'd do the same thing, only preach longer. That's risking it all for the sake of the cross. And so I want to just challenge you this morning as we lead to ask yourself this question. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, what can I do to make a difference today? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us and blessing us. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives. Bless us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is invitation time as it is every week at our church. And if you have a decision to make, this morning I invite you as we sing this song as Jim leads us to come forward as we stand together and sing our song of invitation.
1: All to Jesus I surrender All to Him Jesus, I surrender.
2: For sermon this morning. I want to go ahead and ask the high school graduates to go ahead and come forward for us. If you're a high school graduate and you're not up here, you probably should be up here, but that's okay. Uh, before we introduce the high school graduates, I'm just curious do we have any eighth grade graduates in the. Uh, you already did it? Oh, never mind. Okay, go thanks, Greg. Okay, I'll just move right along then. Uh, we're just excited about the high school graduates. We want to introduce them to you this morning. We also want to pray for them this morning as well. Now, these are four of your most dedicated high school seniors you will ever see, because last night was prom. And so, when we planned this, we did not know that prom was the night before. So, some of these did not make it to bed. Some of them made it to bed about three or four in the morning. Some of them have not slept for like 72 days. But that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. But we're just glad that they're here this morning. We're going to have a brunch for them. Uh, following the service here today at 9.30, and then we'll also introduce them at second service. So I'd like to introduce them to you this morning. Please hold your applause until the very end, and we can do that at the very end. This is Allison Mulby, and Allison will be attending... Montgomery. I knew I... (laughs) I knew if I looked at those notes I would mess up. This is is Allison Montgomery, and Allison will be attending uh, Richland Community College. This is Diane Bridges, and Diane Bridges will be attending Eastern. This is Allison Maltby, and Allison will be working at DeWitt Savings Bank. By the way, she told me to say that, so I think that's a commercial. But anyhow, she will be working for at DeWitt Savings Bank and also attending Richland as well. This is Emily Hampton. Emily will be attending. She has her shirt on this morning. She will be attending SIU in Carbondale. Carbondale. Won't you show them your appreciation this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we love you so very much. And Father, I'm so very thankful for these seniors that are here on this stage. Father, for their love for you and their love for others, we are so very thankful. Father, I thank you for those who are here today in the congregation, for grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles and neighbors and people that have played an important role in their lives, Sunday school teachers. Father, we just give you praise for them. And Father, help us all that we just might continue to encourage them, that we might continue to strengthen them, Father, in their endeavors. Father, we love you so very much, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the other half of our college seniors who will be. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, This is our class act ministry kids. Uh, These boys and girls have practiced on Sunday nights uh, starting in January. And there are a lot of them. There's about 38 to 40 of them. Depends on how many show up on a particular night. And we're we're excited about them. Next week, they will be doing their big performance at 815 and then also at 11 as well. I just want to say thank you to all of the sponsors. They have done, I love when people go by me and duck. They can tell you're going by me, it's okay. Um, They have done so very much. The sponsors have just done a tremendous job, and so I simply want to say thank you to the sponsors. So won't you show your appreciation for the sponsors that have done a great job with them? And then also, if you, are a, <clears throat> if you are a parent or a grandparent of these kids and you would like to come pick them up and they're not going to Sunday school, you may pick them up. After that, if no one picks them up, we will go ahead and take them to Sunday school as well. And so following the class act, um, kids performance, you will be dismissed here today. Again, thank you for being with us at worship this morning. Uh, we're just excited about what God is doing here at First Christian Church and in this community and the surrounding area. Again, thank you for being here today.
3: my feet in the cool clear blue I'm going to sit with